Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. This month, uh, March, we're celebrating Women's History Month. And we're looking at women and the cooperative movement. We've had a couple great shows on this last two weeks, last Thursday and the Thursday before. And this morning, we have Miss Melba McAfee-Smith from Mississippi on the line with us. Good morning, Melba. Good morning, Vernon. How are you today? Well, I'm getting over a cold, and other than that, I'm great. How about yourself? Well, good. So am I. I'm not getting over a cold. I'm great. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, yes, I am, and I'm so thankful to be on your show today and have this opportunity. And we're glad to have you. I see that you were inducted into the Co-op Hall of Fame in 2009. Yes, yes, that was such an honor, I tell you. I, I did realize that was something that would be part of my life, but I'm thankful for it. So how did you get that honor? What uh, did you do to get A lot get that of honor? people <laughs> thought that I should have it in my state. And because of my work for almost 40 years and probably 35 years in, in cooperatives, I worked with the Federation of Southern Cooperatives out of Alabama, but worked primarily throughout the South in primarily rural areas in uh, helping to establish cooperatives in rural communities. What are some of the kind of co-ops that you have to establish, you developed? Well, primarily agriculture cooperatives, and then there were some consumer cooperatives and uh, handicraft cooperatives, too, and some food buying clubs. Credit union, community development credit unions, too, was part of some of the things that I was engaged in, which was really, really amazing and a blessing because every time I visited those groups, I learned more and more about people and and they really uh, had a lot of things going for themselves, but just need a little direction to learn more about how cooperatives were structured and how they benefit the community and how they can work together in order to meet the needs of their community. So structured, how co-ops are structured, how they benefit the community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Right, and, 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 and how to work together. <laughs> okay. That's a key part of it. <laughs> Uh, people working together really are wanting to go in the same direction, really seeing the need itself as it presents itself and going after solving those concerns that they have in their community. And I think that makes for a successful cooperative. People on one accord, writing a vision, making it plain so that those who read it can run with it. Writing a vision and making it plain. Yes, yes, that's my whole philosophy, too. Uh, we we must know where we're trying to go. We must know that. We must be clear on how we're going to get there. And we must be able to share that with other people so that they can catch hold to it and run with us, all running together. How can two walk together unless they agree 
agree on what, agree on where they're trying to go. So it's a great opportunity for me, and it has become a part of my life now. And it's something that is within me and part of my being to talk about this and help people to understand why cooperatives work and how they work and how it will meet a need if you're willing to put in the time and the resources from maybe not just from yourselves but from other places and really to work at it. It will work. And I'm so thankful that those that we have worked with are successful. And more and more people in the South and in in Mississippi, Alabama, throughout the Southeast are becoming uh, educated on cooperatives and how those business structures can uh, enhance their communities and their livelihoods as well. You know, you've just said a lot in the first two or three minutes of the show. And I want to unpack it a little bit because you said... Okay, go ahead. uh, Write a vision and make it plain. And then you've got to share that vision to other people. And it just takes me back to the Bible verse, without a vision, they will perish. And so it seems like to me, you said, that's in you. That's what you're all about. But I thought you were retired. I am retired from a day-to-day job, but I still go out and help communities that are interested in organizing cooperatives or interested in um, really getting a little bit more information as to how cooperatives work and their role. Sometimes, Vernon, there are people who hear about cooperatives, maybe in a a conference setting or maybe even uh, on your radio show, I'm not sure, but... um, They think, well, let's go down and let's organize this business structure with our state. Let's get set up and let's go. But it takes more than that. It takes some pre-work. It takes really, really coming together and to see if, in fact, this is something that we want to try and this is something that we feel will work for our community and to see if people are on board with that. It goes right back to that vision. You have to have people of same minds, and I like to say same-minded people, people who think that this is a situation that needs to be corrected, people who think we can work together with other folk, and people who think that we can accomplish that which we've set out to do. So that's a... That's not an easy task. (laughs) Working with people is not easy as we think it is, but... Once you get it written down, once you get it vocalized, and once you get people to think over it, go back home and think over it, come back to a second meeting, go back home and think over it, come back to a second meeting, go back home and think over it, come back to a second meeting, and then you say, are we ready to go? Can we go this direction? Yes, yes. And you get everybody on board, and I think you have an easier time in making co-ops successful and reaching your goals. Well, I've asked the question a lot of times. I only heard about co-ops. You said you've been working in here for 40 years. I heard about co-ops 25 years ago when I was managing housing co-ops. That's how I mm-hmm. learned about mm-hmm. them and have really fallen in love with the concept of co-ops because of what you said. Uh, if people will get in and work them, they work. Um, mm-hmm. And I also like a couple of things I've heard on this. Well, one's in Greenbelt, Maryland, at a housing co-op that was built in the 30s and 40s. They had a plaque that said that co-ops will give people the tools they need to control their destiny. Amen. And I like that a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. 
the tools basically is what you're talking about, the knowledge, the education, coming to meetings, learning, learning, mm-hmm, thinking, mm-hmm. learning, growing, working together, figuring out how to work together. And then there was a lady on the program, Dame Pauline Green, who was the president of International Cooperative Alliance, said that co-ops help people to come out of poverty with dignity. Amen. I like that one also. I mean, for (laughs) all of the right reasons, because it's coming out of poverty by working through things, by learning, by working together, by building community, by solving community problems. And then also by creating social and financial wealth. So you get all of this put together to solve community problems and getting people to work together. Yes, yes. And sometimes it grows out of a, and I think that's what you're speaking to, it grows out of a need that exists. Like in 1942, here in Mississippi, we had a group of cotton growers, uh, farmers that were growing cotton. And when they would... uh, pick their cotton. When the cotton was ready to be picked, they would put it in what we call trailers that hitch behind their tractors, and they would take the cotton to the cotton gin. And so these were uh, uh, cotton gins were owned by the white members in in the community. But their cotton was the last to be gin. And by the time they would get their trailers empty to go back into the field, the rains had set in. So the remaining cotton in their field was destroyed because of the rain. So this presented them with a problem, and they came together and said, we can no longer lose half of our crops in the field. So they decided to organize a a cotton gin, which was a cooperative. They did it the cooperative way, where everyone was an equal member. And that really brought about a change in their community, and they were very, very successful with that. So a need presented an opportunity for people to come together and work together and become successful and to bring income into their own farms, but also as a lighthouse for those living in the community to see that we can develop businesses that are successful. So the need was they needed a cotton gin. Somebody else owned a cotton gin. And, by the and time they were they, being discriminated against by not getting their cotton gin in the right order. If my trailer was above yours, and I should be next in line, but my trailer would sit out to the left or to the right and just stay there until they decided to do that, which put the African-American farmers at a disadvantage because what, what, they needed their trailers to go back in and get more cotton and bring it back to the gin. I missed something. I thought you said these were white farmers. These are African-American farmers who was not having their cotton Gin. Oh, the the white the white farmers owned the cotton gin, oh. and the black African American farmers were being discriminated against because their cotton was the last to be gin. Their cotton was all white. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, money, <laughs> money. Because <laughs> the the white farmers wanted their gin first, so they could get back in the field and get all their cotton out before the rain set in. But the African American farmers couldn't get their cotton gin; they would lose money. So it was all about money. So then the African Americans came together and formed their own co-op. On their own co-op and built their own cotton gin. Built their own cotton gin so that they could process their cotton. And would not have to wait on the white man to decide to let them process their cotton. Amen. And and they would do that equitably, meaning that the first in would be the first out. You know, they didn't discriminate. If you brought your, your trailer in and you, you had a number and everybody got in, you know, in line 
and their cotton was gin as they brought it in, which allowed them to take the empty trailers and go back into the cotton fields and, and refill and come back again. And they would get their cotton out before the end of, by the end of September, which is when the rainy season starts pretty much in October in our state. I imagine the whites that owned the cotton gin didn't like that very much. No, but um, <laughs> that's part of it. I, I would have thought they would try to I mean, sometimes when it. you go out on your own and do something for yourself, there are some people, you know, will say different things. But that doesn't matter. You're meeting a need of the community that you're serving. And your own family. And your own family. And the community itself. Because when these farmers, at the end of the season, once they had all their cotton gin and everybody had received payments and things like that, then they would host a big community-wide fish fry. All right. And everybody could come, and they would see the success of the co-op and a business that these 50 farmers had put together and, and became successful with it. Now, now, what did that do? Well, okay. we got to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about that fish fry and what that would do for everybody that, that see that, that they can start their own business and make it Amen. and be independent. We're going to take our first uh, break, and we'll be right back. Okay. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Information is power. That's WOL's motto. And that's the reason the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program to give you information about cooperatives, such that if you take the information that we provide on this program about cooperatives, then Ms. Neville McAfee-Smith has given us information about how they start in, in the South. And we've had people on from the North and from the West and all over some Central. Then, then you could take that information, put some action to it, and that's where the power comes from. And you've already heard uh, Ms. Melville Smith talk about when people come together, they come to their first meeting, they learn, they go back and they think about it, and then they come back and they learn again. and They go back and think about it and come back and learn some more. And then once they decide and get some knowledge, that's the tools that we talk about to control your destiny. That is when you have the power to change your family, change your community, get social wealth and in and financial wealth and working together, learning how to work together. So what you were talking about, Miss Melba Smith, before we took the break was how the black farmers were discriminated against when they took their cotton to the gin. They their cotton was set aside. The white farmers came through first and then they couldn't get their traders to go back and pick and then they would have the rains that come in and destroy their crops and therefore they didn't get the finances. They only got half of what they were entitled to. So they came together, 50 farmers, created a cooperative and then they made their own gin and then they were equitable and treating each other. And then you're talking about a fish fry and that caught my attention. I like fish fry. <laughs> yes. Because they were successful, they wanted to celebrate that success, not in a prideful way, but in a way that it it um, encouraged the community and wanted the community to share in that success. Now, what does it, it did two things. One, it encouraged people that coming together does and working together does work. And it also was a lighthouse for younger people 
to learn about what their fathers and their grandfathers and their mothers were doing in this effort and to develop a pathway for other young people to go. Maybe it's not in cotton, maybe it was not in farming, but how working together works. And that was a very significant thing that happened in that community. And after the older farmers, the one who actually started this cooperative, began with it in the the 40s, then their sons and their daughters came forth and, and began to carry it on. And it remained in business for, I know, more than 40 years there in the community. So uh, it, it was an opportunity for them to to be a lighthouse for others who lived in the community. And I think that's what co-ops are about, too, is to encourage other activities. Once you begin one activity and are doing that very successful, there may be another need there. There may be to put another person in business, which went in business with this co-op, was to transport their cotton once it was all put together then they would transport uh, to the place where they were going to sell their cotton. And so there was an opportunity for another person to um, to provide transport services. So you're not only just growing one business, you're creating another business. And then if there are other needs, which in that community wasn't needed, they needed a grocery store. So they organized a grocery store where people could come and get gas and get uh, grocery items and not have to drive 25 to 30 miles to another grocery store. Hold on, so man. You, a, you, you're it's going it's too fast for me. You're telling me that in 1942, a group of farmers came together because they were being discriminated against, couldn't mm-hmm. get their cotton gin, so mm-hmm. they created a cooperative, learning how to work together, and putting their resources together, they bought their own gin, mm-hmm. their own cotton gin, so they could process their own cotton. You're saying, okay, now that we've got the cotton gin, now we've got to get it to the market. So mm-hmm. we need transportation. So you create another co-op, a trucking mm-hmm. cooperative. And now you got people not only farming and ginning the cotton, now you got people mm-hmm. trucking it. You say, okay, then we look around and you say, okay, well, now we've got to drive 20, 30 miles for groceries. Let's create a grocery store closer in. So we create a food co-op. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the principles of cooperatives is a constant expansion. So that, that means that once you provide one thing, there's another need that exists or grow out of the existing co-ops that exist. So you continue to expand and build upon that foundation that you just started and, and constructed. So you build on that. You continue to build on that. So that's what that community did. And uh, so... It brought the community closer together, and it's a very, uh, I'd say, use the word prideful, prideful in the good sense, a very prideful community because of the of the beginning back in 1942. So the pride is the pride in accomplishment. In accomplishments and not selfish pride. So the pride what we did and not what I did. What we did together. All right. What we did together. Amen. Okay. Amen. And so those are just some of the, that's just one example of how uh, people begin to uh, work together. But uh, one of the things that I would like to say is another 
cooperative principle is cooperation among cooperatives. And I am really, really honing in on that in these latter years to talk about that because I do feel that there are much larger successful cooperatives that I know that are uh, doing uh, work in other countries, uh, maybe in Africa, uh, several parts of Africa there, maybe helping the uh, low-wealth people. But then there are smaller cooperatives in this country that I do feel that those larger cooperatives could reach down and help them become successful. And not, and it's not always about finances, but it's about technical assistance. It's about markets that they can help with. Now, I'm, I'm part of a local cooperative here, which is um, primarily an agricultural cooperative. It's uh, livestock and vegetable production. So we're, we're looking for uh, some support in terms of setting up our feed store. And feed store is to support our members who don't have to drive 20 or 30 miles to the closest feed store to buy feed for their animals. So the cooperative decided to set up a feed store. Well, we're looking to become maybe a dealer for some of the uh, larger feed stores and uh, have a working relationship with them. So that's what we're talking about. There are feed stores that are cooperatives, and we're wanting them to, to come and work with us. Right now, I don't think we meet the requirements, but we're asking them to let us be in a startup position so that we can get to that point where we uh, Large uh, meet their requirements, too. You know, we don't buy 20 tons of feed per week, but we are buying 10 tons right now. So we'll get to that point as we grow, as other people come in to the mix, and then we'll be ready. But, but let us now buy feed from you and work with us until we are at that point. And so that's what I mean when I say cooperation among cooperatives. Those that are successful can now reach back and help the smaller cooperatives to become successful. There may be technical assistance that they can provide or ways of how to do this in order to reach that point of selling 20 tons per week. Well, what you're talking about are the seven cooperative principles that were mm-hmm. developed in 1844. At least that's where they got their origin in Roth, Rothdale, England. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. that's sort of the modern cooperative. And the, the sixth principle is cooperation among cooperatives. Right. Um, and I like uh, the values, cooperatives based on the values of self-help self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. And in the tradition of those founding uh, cooperative members believe in ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, Uh and caring for others. Uh Not just for self, but caring for others. And that's that community building. It's in the DNA of cooperatives. And then there are seven principles. Volunteer and open membership doesn't uh-huh. care about gender, social, racial, political, or religious. There's no discrimination in co-ops. If they're run the way cooperatives are intended to run. Right. Democratic member control, one member, one vote. Right. 
member economic participation. Normally there's mm-hmm. some buy-in, but also when there's a profit or surplus, then that, mm-hmm. that is shared and the members mm-hmm. decide mm-hmm. how it's shared. Mm-hmm. And then you got autonomy and independence. You got to have the control of the business. Amen. And the one that I that I liked first and foremost was the fifth one was education, training, and information. And you've already talked about that. That's the meetings mm-hmm. and the learning and then going back, thinking about it and coming back. Sixth is cooperation among cooperatives. And seventh is concern for the community. Mm-hmm. Those are the principles. And that's what a, a, a modern cooperative, that's any cooperative, no matter what. And we, when we come back from our second break, we're going to talk about the different cooperatives. You've talked about them. I'm going to put them in a sort of a context. We'll talk about the different cooperatives. And we want to get to, uh, Melba, when we come back, about women and the women's role mm-hmm. in this cooperative movement. You talked about Amen. the 50 cooperative farmers and agriculture that came together to make the, to buy their cotton gin. But what's yeah. the women's role have been in this cooperative movement? But we'll be we'll be right back, uh, and we'll get get to the different types of co-ops and women's role in cooperatives. Please don't touch okay. that dial. Okay, great. Washington D.C.'s News Talk, fourteen fifty AM WOL ninety five nine FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative. Uh, our guest today is Miss Melville McAfee-Smith, who's on the line with us this morning out of Mississippi. And uh, we talked a little bit about the different types of co-ops. She has mentioned uh, agriculture co-ops, consumer, handicraft, food buying clubs, credit unions. So let me give you a definition of co-ops that, that I've sort of come up with as we've talked. Melba, we've been on the show three and a half years already. I cannot believe it. But I got that if a a co-op is any business, it can be any business in the world if it's owned and controlled by the members. It's owned and controlled. If it's it's owned and controlled by the employees, then it's called a worker cooperative. And therefore, any business, if the business is owned and controlled by the employees and follow these principles and the values that we've talked about, then it's a cooperative. Exactly. But if it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products or services, then it's called a consumer cooperative. And those examples are housing co-ops, credit unions. A food co-op could either be a consumer co-op, the people that buy the food could own the business, or it could be an employee co-op that the employees of the food co-op own the business, own and Mm -hmm. control it. And then you have two different types of one is called a purchasing cooperative and a lot of uh, farmers and artists, uh, people can come together and they buy together. Like the 50 farmers came together and they bought the equipment for the cotton gin. Exactly. It's called a purchasing cooperative. Yes. They could buy their fertilizer together, their seeds together. Um, their, uh, you had mentioned one, you want their, their feed, mm-hmm. uh, could, could have a feed store. Uh, a purchasing cooperative. Normally when you have 50 farmers buying, you can buy bigger volume and therefore mm-hmm. get a better quality and at a lower price. Mm-hmm. And, and you can also, if 50 farmers, you can hire people to help so that they get the expertise and working with different people that they can buy from. Right. And then on the other end, so the farmer ends up producing the product and then you've got to market it. 
And so you can have a marketing co-op on the other side. Uh, Cabot Creamery is an example of a marketing co-op where farmers come together and mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. They, they take their milk to Cabot Creamery and Cabot Creamery makes cheese and milk and other products out of it. Um, so you get, uh, you can have a purchasing cooperative, you can have a marketing cooperative, and then you can have consumer or uh, worker-owned uh, cooperatives. And that meets most of the different types of co-ops. But is any business where the, it's owned by the group of people and the, and the group of people make the decisions and they learn how to make the decisions. And that is where a lot of work comes in, where you've got to really study. How do you, how are you going to come together and make decisions? Right. And is that what you've been helping people to do? Exactly. Exactly. And, and we, um, we take time to do that. We don't just rush into it. We start off with the basic ABCs, right? And we talk to them about the different types of cooperatives so that they'll know what their ideas are and how they will fit, which which is the perfect fit for them based on what they're planning to do. So we work through those steps with them, and then we help them as, as they discuss this, we kind of be there to help them along, to kind of uh, direct them in, in that right direction, and then they'll make a decision on that as to what services they want to provide, and then what group does it fall in. So that is something that we do. Um, just wanted to add this one thing back to the, uh, and you mentioned the co-op principles uh, that you were talking about mm-hmm. before we went off for break. Uh, there's one that we've added uh, when I say we, the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, to that, and that is constant education. Now, you have members that you start off with. You may start off with 25, may start off with 10, may start off with 200 members who caught the vision in the beginning and are working together. But you have new people that come in. So they need to understand how this co-op was started, uh, what, are the, what are the goals and objectives, what is the vision, where are we trying to go, what, what, is, what it is that we're trying to do. And then you have people in the co-op who sometimes get off of the way that we are walking together and maybe lean to the left or lean to the right. So you want to bring that education constantly talking about who we are, where we're going, and how we're going to get there so that people can stay on the same highway going in the same direction. So we thought that was very, very important in the work that we were doing in the South, is constant education. That means that we are continuously talking about what the vision is of this co-op and why we organize the history of it. But new people who are coming in may not know the, the amount of work that people put in and how we got to where we are today. It seems successful to them, but some people labored before we got to the success point. So that's what we mean when we say constant education. Well, I like that a lot. It, it reminds me of Dr. Jessica gordon Nimhart, who's been on the show, who wrote the book uh, Collective mm-hmm. Courage. Right. She said that uh, in her uh, research, she found out that they had study bees. Mm-hmm. And in, in whenever they had difficulty, they come back to the study bees. They come mm-hmm. back to the education, and mm-hmm. sort of like that's the foundation of all of this is the knowledge, the education, how it works, how to make it work, how to work together to get things to work. 
Okay, right? I, I like and, that. And I think that's so key because um, you do want everybody walking in the same direction and going in the same direction and and um, knowing exactly how we're going to get there. So it's key to give people information. I think you talked about that earlier, to be able to provide information, education, uh, is key to the success of the cooperative. So are you working on any co-ops right now to developing any co-ops? I'm working with a couple of groups now that's uh, going through the, we have like an 11-step plan uh, strategy before you actually get to uh, incorporating. And um, so we, we tend to take those steps and and go through them each one until they really say that, okay, this is something we want to do and we can do it and we're on the same page. So, uh, yes, I am working with them. But I'm also working in the cooperative that I'm, in which I'm a member, you know, talking with them about planning. When we talk about the feed store, we're working with them on how we can do that and and who we need to help us to get to this point of having and doing surveys within our community with a 50-mile radius and also talking about other cooperatives working with us when I talk about, when we talked about cooperation among cooperatives, uh, there are other cooperatives that uh, have a couple of members, even though their cooperative is primarily a vegetable uh, cooperative. They have other members that have livestock, and we're trying to see if we can meet the needs of those members in other co-ops, and that's where we talked about cooperation among cooperatives, too. So we want to expand that so that we will be successful. And uh, so we're going through some steps right now as to how we can make that work and what does it cost to uh, actually get the feed store off the ground, and the surveys among our members and other people living within the geographical area, what their needs are and how we can be able to provide their needs too so uh, so that they can save energy and then and not have to, to travel distances in order to get feed for their animals. You know, you, you talk about 11 steps, and I really wish we had time to go through those 11 steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've, I've, I just had a young man uh, that I met at a total different meeting who wants to start an artist co-op. He's a musician, and he was talking about how hard it is to to get started in the artist world, whether you're a musician or painter or whatever you might be. And he wanted to know how to start a co-op. Uh, so we'd love to be, have a blueprint, if you will, of your 11 steps. To oh, share sure. Sure. I was just looking here on my uh, computer to, um, to to talk about that. But um, what, what, be, before but we'll, we'll just move on, and I, yeah. can, I can certainly forward you those. I'd too. appreciate it. Now, uh-huh. uh, you said the fees were off the ground. Uh, a lot of times to get a business off the ground, you need money. You need mm-hmm. a resource. How do you, how do you finance a feed store? Have you gotten to, there yet? Yes, that is uh, one thing. Let, let me say this, too. Our cooperative has uh, been in existence uh, 14 years, and it's called South Rankin County Farmers Association. 
And we started off meeting at, at a local church and then at a local school. And then we, our board and, and members thought that we should buy some property and build, our facil- build a facility there. So we did. And how we did that was uh, we, we went to the Farmland Bank, and I may have it wrong, mm-hmm. uh, for a loan, and several of our members um, signed uh, the loan itself. So, and no, $50-some-thousand $50 was what we were borrowing. And uh, each year when the loan would come due, the members would contribute to the note that was due that particular year. Uh, around $6,000. So we had about 20-some members, and they would pay approximately 300 sometimes be 250 $300 a year. And so we eventually paid that off in um, in less half the time, I say seven years. Mm-hmm. And we, we were able to get a small uh, grant from a, another group through, I think, maybe the Ford Foundation or something like that, but we were able to construct a facility, a prefab type thing, uh, buy the materials and then have somebody to put it up, and we were able to do that. So part of that facility is our feed store, and so now we have the space for the feed store, so we just need (laughs) the feed itself. So we've we've been working with another group, that wants to lend monies to cooperatives to help them be successful. Now, it is a loan, but it's like when you start making money, then you start paying them back. So I think that was that is really a good opportunity for us. So we've, we've been buying feed, selling that feed, turning it over, and been buying additional feed, too. So what we make off that feed, the initial purchase of the feed came through this loan, mm-hmm. and we were able to buy feed. So then when we turn it over, then the money we make off the feed, we then take that money and um, put it aside to be able to pay the note back. So that's how it goes. So you're already in the business. We're in the business on a small scale. <laughs> we're in the business on a small scale because our members need feed. And they need other things. They need, um, you know, other things that go along with it, uh, salt, salt blocks. Uh, they need other supplies. And so we'll buy that based on the surveys that we had and based on them actually coming and purchasing. And then we replenish that so that so they will have feed continuously. Co-op now, back to the point where the members, I'll just say this one thing. Well, there are two types of stock. That, that co-ops have. One is Never, the common stock. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back to stock right after our okay. last and final break. And I <laughs> hopefully we'll get to women in co-ops. But okay, let's talk about stock when we that. come back. <laughs> we'll take our final break and then we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk. 1450 AM WOF. 95.9 FM. Information is power. This is Vernon Oaks, Everything Cooperative. And we have Mrs. Melba McAfee-Smith on the line with us out of Mississippi. Uh, And when we took the break, you were getting ready to talk about stock uh, in co-ops. And you said, before I cut you off, that there are two different types of co-op. Can you go ahead and continue that conversation? There are two two ways... um 
two types of stock that is included in your articles of incorporation and bylaws, and they are common stock and preferred stock. Now, the common stock is what you offer to your members who want to become a member of the or owner, member owner of the co-op. And that may be $50 for it. This is what the board determines how much the stock, how much that a membership will cost, whether it's $50. In our cooperative, we started off at $250, $250. And you get one vote. You have that, that's your membership ownership. Okay. Then there's a second type of stock, which is called preferred stock. And preferred stock is for investors. They can investors can be both members and outside investors, and so they are issued stock for the amount of money that they invest into the co-op. And those monies can be used as startup monies for the co-op or as maintaining the co-op whenever there's a need for a loan or additional monies if people are interested in doing that. So when our members I wanted to pay off that loan we received from the uh, land bank, uh, paying three fifty, two fifty to three fifty a year. Then, when the loan was paid off, we issued everyone who paid in a preferred stock, a stock certificate, so that if the co-op were to dissolve or go out of business or whatever, they would get their monies. Those investors would get their monies off the top. And then the remaining of the monies from the sale of the business would be divided equally among all members at that time. So who who decides uh, who gets what stock or how the stock is or how money is divided? These are, these are written in the bylaws. They are identified in the bylaws. And most most cooperatives have that in their bylaws. And uh, these are... Articles of incorporation that you submit to the state that you're actually operating in and your copy of your bylaws. And this is common within uh, co-op bylaws. They're listed there. So the common stock is for members, and that's their ownership, and they get a stock certificate saying that I'm a member of this co-op. Right. And the board determines how much that particular membership fee is, whether it's two fifty, fifty dollars or a hundred or or fifteen hundred, whatever they uh determine that is. Now in the preferred stock, that's for investors. Members can invest and outside people can invest. And whatever they invest, that's what the stock certificate will say. That they invested twenty five hundred dollars and they will receive and uh, in interest rate of whatever that is at the time that, that, that they retrieve that and turn that in and request payment for it. So if somebody like myself wanted to invest in your co-op, mm-hmm. what would I have to do? I'd... Well, that that would be what you would say. First of all, there would be a need for investors, right? Say we wanted $50,000 and we need investors. So we would put out a call or let people know that they're, that we're trying to raise this certain amount of money in order just say in, in order to operate the uh, the feed store, right? We need $25,000 for that. And then we would open it up to outside investors. And a person would say, well, I'd like to invest $5,000 toward that. I believe that this is can be successful. You would look at our business plan, our marketing study, all of that, which would give you a belief that this will work. And then you say, yes, I'd like to invest 5000 And at that point, 
we were to receive it, the board were to receive it, then we would issue you a stock certificate saying that you have invested that amount of money into the cooperative. All right. Now, and that's recorded with the state, too, now, <laughs> not just with the local co-op. It's recorded. The state actually says how many um, uh, stock certificates we can issue, or we say that to the state, and the state okays it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's ways- a legal thing. We have an attorney to help us. <laughs> you have ways of raising money. You have a business plan. You have people working together. You can, can constantly educate and study and uh, can be successful and has been successful. Mm-hmm. And we have those technical people that we need to walk along beside us, like our attorney, like our CPA, you know, so that we can be legal and we can do things in a more profitable way. So what's the role of women in this cooperative movement? What have you seen in your 40 years of cooperative. So I'm glad you asked, and I'll try to make this short because I know our time is running short, too. But I I think where I get my foundation from is in my family, and I'm going to do this right quick, Bernard. Uh, My mother and father, and this has been instilled in me and and I guess has come up through my life. But my my father uh, was a farmer, part-time farmer, I'd say it like that, Mm -hmm. but he worked an outside job. My mother was a school teacher. She taught school, but, of course, she had the summers off. But she was the manager of this household. And that's what I see women. Sometimes we say, you know, the women uh, don't have a good role. They don't have this and that. But to be a manager of a household is really, really something. My mother was a visionary, and she was a strong woman with views that shaped our family. She was always looking out how our family could experience upward mobility and pushing toward that. And she would discuss that with my father. And if he was a little hesitant, she would just move on toward what it is she saw that we needed in the household. And and one example of that was when we needed clean water, we didn't have actually a water system in this community. And we had to drink water from an old well that my grandfather had dug. And uh, when we needed clean water, she said, hey, we need to move from that to the next step. And she bought a, a big, huge tank that holds 1,000 gallons of water, and we would collect rainwater there. But she didn't stop there. She moved to the next level, and that was we need a deep well, a well that's drilled in the ground that afford us enough water, not for our families, just for our family, but for our cattle and for our vegetables. And not only that, when that well was drilled, it provided water for the community. People could come get water or they could run water to their homes there. So she was always thinking about that, and she was organizing the family. And I'm going quickly here. And she was a visionary in terms of what she wanted her children to become. And she would speak into their lives and say, now, when you get your college degree, that's not going to be enough because a college degree is going to be like a high school degree, and you're going to have to move to the next level. So that in- encouraged us. And were, you, we were, you from, in, were you in elementary school when she was speaking this? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was in elementary school because she had her college degree. But you're going to have to go further. Then we went. My brother, my brother went on to a Ph.D., and I went to a master's degree. So that's where I stopped. 
<laughs> but I'll tell another story mm-hmm. <laughs> why I stopped there. Uh, but but that's what she did. So managing the household to me as a woman is like the co-op manager. Now it says here the co-op manager supervises and coordinates the daily operation of the people, capital, and fiscal resources. The manager's job is the hardest job in any business, especially in co-ops, since it's the most important. It is a job, if not done right, neither the job nor the co-op is going to be around long. And so this is what I saw in my mother doing. She was strong, she was visionary, and she was apt to get what she wanted done. Mm-hmm. and make sure it was done right. Even though the father was the head, she was working through that and sometimes pushing him forward. Mm-hmm. Now, in our co-op, that's exactly what we as women do. We serve on the board. We set policy because we're on the board. But we also supervise the manager, and the manager is the key person in the co-op to carry out the policies of the board of directors. And and the other example I want to say about women in our co-ops is most of the farmers that are part of our co-op have out-of-the-home jobs. They work work out out of the home uh, on a regular job, which brings additional income into the family. But they have their livestock. And you'll see the women coming to the co-op to purchase the feed, driving the truck, taking the feed back home for the cows, uh, coming to meetings when their husband can't get there. You'll see something that's a little bit different in women. As they're out doing these things, they're seeing things. They're seeing vision of a way. They're seeing needs. They're seeing other things that need to be met. And they bring those to the co-op and say, hey, we saw this. This is something we need to do. So I can't say enough that women play a great role in cooperatives, in their family, and in their community. You know what? And I've seen that over and over again, and and, and it, it, it's because they have a, they are a different being than me, and I think. Yes, and I gotta tell you, I wish we'd have started off this way because we're out of time. Oh no! Yes, we are, and we never we've got to get you back on uh, <laughs> so we could talk about this. Your your mother's story is phenomenal, and it's similar to my mother's story. So yeah, um, mm-hmm. and it helps us to it helps. It has, it has instilled something in me to be a strong person. Amen. And, and we got to generation to generation. And we got to we got to stop there with being a strong person. Thank you, Melba. We'll have to get I you back you on too. again. I thank you too, Bernard. And everybody out there, please have a wonderful week and live cooperatively. Washington D.C.'s News Talk, fourteen fifty AM, WOL, and ninety five point nine.